0: Well I hope we haven't scared y'all permanently, but we'll be here again next week if you want to join us. Yeah, I'll be here. Uh. Well, thank you for that. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome everyone at every single one of our campuses today, uh, this weekend and those who are listening online. We are one church, as Eugene said, in many locations, and so however you are connecting with us this weekend, we welcome you. Whether this is your first time or you were actually born in the seat that you're seated in, which is kind of a strange thought but we welcome you. Um, in fact, that's a core part of who we are as a, as a Menlo Church family, everyone's welcome. In fact, you even welcomed me, so that's what, that's what you get for being welcoming, you get me too. And this isn't my first time on stage. Uh, John introduced me a while ago on Compassion Moves Weekend. And if you weren't here in June, we actually as an entire church started a new season where we came alongside kids in Peru and Brazil and Dominican Republic to invest ourselves in our lives, in their lives. And I wanted to give you a little update on how that initiative is going. Since June, we have actually sponsored 1,239 children from those three countries. So, (laughs) praise God, good job for you. A little side note, if you are one of those 1,200 members that are sponsoring a child, I wanna remind you to go ahead and send them a note. So maybe you wanna write down yourself a little note. Hey, I need to write uh, little Eliana or uh, little Jose. Um, They love those notes so much. To give you even more context, we did a little more research with Compassion International, and since 2006, Menlo members have actually sponsored 2,034 children from all over the world. So compassion is something that we are, we're not just doing, we are. it's a part of who we are. We're actually currently working on creating some trips down to Peru for next year, so if some of you uh, wanna plan on it, you can travel down and meet the child that is now a part of your faith story. I really believe that we will all learn so much about God and ourselves and each other through these relationships. I'm really excited for us. Isn't that a great thought? Us that we get to be a part of a growing us. And speaking of us, we have been looking into what it means to be a part of the Menlo us. We've learned why it's important for us to gather and serve and give and invite. And now we wanna take a closer look at how a core part of who we are is that we are a community that's going. Now I wanna warn you right up front. There should be a little warning label on this message it's always dangerous to have a missions pastor be given the microphone. I can already feeling you grabbing your wallets a little tighter and pulling your kids in a little closer and checking your summer calendar for next summer. Well, you can take a deep breath, because today, this weekend, I won't be asking for your money or your kids or even your vacations, at least not this weekend. But there will be an ask and it could change everything. I mentioned before that in the body of Christ, we have some are the hands and some are the feet, and I won't even begin to tell you who the mouth is, but uh, in the body of Christ, I like to consider myself as the elbow. And I think this, this, this weekend, we're gonna really just kinda get elbowed to move a little bit. The weekend services to me are kind of like a water station in a race. Do we have any, any runners here? Is there any runners? I'm not, uh, I was never really a runner until I moved into the Philippines. And when I was in Cebu, I encountered an entire group of people that used to wake up so early every weekend to participate in what they called fun runs. I'm not sure what's so fun about it, um, except maybe they only enjoyed the races because that was the only time of day where there was no traffic on the streets. In any case, someone registered me for a race, and I, I guess that was a sign of friendship, but I kind of viewed it as a sign of punishment. You know, I signed you up, Pastor So I went and ran on my first fun run. And about two kilometers into the 10K race, I noticed a table in the middle of the road with cups of cold water and smiling, friendly people who weren't running, but they were there to encourage the runners, to cheer them on and to refresh them. And there was laughter and joy and peace, and no one at that first water station was sweating at all. I took a cup and I kept moving, but I kinda looked back with a little bit of sadness knowing that I already missed my new friends at the water station. The point of the water station, though, is not to live there and celebrate all the joy that is water to our souls, but the point of the water station was so that, to, that I would be refreshed to continual, continue and eventually finish the race. I developed these complicated relationships with the water stations. They were so vital to my journey, but the most important part of the water station was actually leaving the station and joining the race. I think you know where I'm going with this, don't you? That this right here, this gathering, is a water station moment. And, the, and we first drink this water, the water of the word, so we get refreshed, but the second step is to move away from the station and into the race. Well, before we get into the scripture, into the water of the word, I wanna share with you a little bit about my own story and what might be called the second touch of Jesus. This may help you get to know me a little bit and why I'm so passionate about the missional lifestyle. And this is a picture, uh, picture of my family now. You can see I'm, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by some good looking people there. Um, and this is me as a kid, um, a stellar athlete, um, seriously, I am not sure there's another photo that actually captures what goes on in my head like this. My dad tried for hours to get that picture exactly perfect. And as fun-loving as that picture uh, makes me out to be, I was actually born into a rougher situation. My parents were married very young and not only had issues with substance abuse in their own lives, but they actually uh, generously assisted others in finding their substance of choice for a small fee. To interpret that for those of you who have never been involved, they they were actually dealing drugs when I was a kid. My dad was actually taken to prison for that and, and upon his release a short time later, my parents were divorced and my sister and I were raised by a single mom who was struggling to get her own life together. Thankfully, both my parents found their faith through unique touches of Christ and have experienced that love and are doing just fine but that shares a little bit about the environment in which I was raised, and so I started my own experimentation with substance when I was just but 10 years old, stealing beer and other items to experiment with. I started using marijuana when I was 12 years old, and let me just say, that's the last thing that a 12-year-old needs. You're already changing so much, so here's something to change your mind even more, right? Deeper into the cycle and search for identity and purpose, my budding addiction led me down some dark paths of violence and thievery and depression. And that first touch of Jesus happened for me as I started high school. I found myself in this youth group where the guest speaker that night said to to the crowd, if you have any questions about Christ or about God, ask me, and if I don't have the answer, I will help you find the answer because I also need the answer. I said, ha ha, I've got him. And I ran up to the front right after the message, and the first question out of my mouth is, if God is so loving, why do I feel so unloved? Staring into this man's face with my hunger for value and love blatantly exposed, he shared the story of the gospel with me. He simply explained to me with patience and care that God demonstrated his love for me that even though I was messed up, he gave away everything just so he could have a relationship with me. That truth hit the deepest part of my soul and at that moment, I knew I was loved and decided that night to become a follower of Jesus. But that was the first touch. Second touch for me happened about a year later when I went on my first mission trip. And that was a touch of the heart. This was an interruption of the way I saw everything, including the expectations I had for myself and the interpretations of other people. I, I kind of had an idea about what Christianity was and how it worked, but there was still so much that I wasn't sure of. Now, this may sound a little mystical to you, and if you are still exploring faith, this may sound strange to you, but I share this to illustrate the truth that God speaks to us in various ways. There was a night on that mission trip when I was half asleep and I was kind of in a halfway dreamy state when I was given a vision of Christ and I heard his voice in my heart and that voice cried out to me, Dave, I love you. I'm never gonna leave you. Now I had heard that truth before, but the second time I heard it, it hit me in such a way, it unlocks something for me. Until that moment, even though I was a Christian, I was still shy and quiet and unsure of my value in this Christian world. I was on a mission trip, but honestly, I was there because I thought that the experience was all about me. And after the second experience with the Lord, I began to see not only did he love me and not only did I have some worth, I began to see that was true for every single person I would meet that God clearly loved and created people and I couldn't keep quiet about it. Well, let's get into the story that illustrates the power of the second touch in the Gospel of Mark, chapter eight. Now, as we join Jesus in this story, we see him in motion. He has been moving around and teaching and healing and providing. And at the end of chapter seven, we see those in Decapolis state, he has done all things well. What a sweet point of knowledge that, yes, indeed, Jesus has done all things well. And at the beginning of chapter 8, we see Jesus and his band of disciples crossing a culture to be involved in a compassionate action of feeding, for four, uh, the feeding of 4,000. And this began to change the disciples' view about who the gospel is meant to be for. For up until then, the good news in their mind was only for them and about them, And on their way, Jesus warns his disciples, don't think like that. He says, Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Watch out for that poison of the mind, thinking that miracles and healing and forgiveness, that the gospel is only for us alone. The disciples had a first touch of Jesus. They knew a little bit, but they were stuck there in their limited understanding. And now with that background let's dive into the story Mark chapter 8 from verse 22 let's read Then he then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him he asked him if he saw anything and he looked up and he said I see men like trees walking Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. This is a story only told by Mark, which is interesting. It's also interesting that Bethsaida is is kind of a home base for some of these disciples. You see, they had gone across the culture and they've come back to this familiar place This familiar scene, and there was someone known to the disciples, so some local people brought this blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Come on, Jesus. You already took care of those people. Now take care of our friend. Now take care of us. So Jesus obliges, and he leads the blind man out of town by the hand. The text doesn't tell us why he does this. Maybe Jesus wanted to get some one-on-one time with him. Or maybe Jesus wanted to preserve the dignity of that healing moment. Or maybe there were just too many doubters and sarcastic people pointing their fingers and kind of chuckling and smirking in the background. Or maybe it was a gentle reminder to the disciples and to us that life change moments aren't leverage for publicity. It's so great to know that Jesus still does this. He still takes us by the hand and quietly meets us in our hurt and pain and brings healing. Many of the healing stories of Jesus are instant, but this one has an arc to it. It's a gradual healing. It's actually the only instance in the Gospels where healing happens in two different stages. So Jesus leads him out of town and gets him away from the prying eyes of the crowd. It's quiet now. And Jesus spits in his eyes. I mean, welcome to the Menlo Healing Service, right? Come on up here and let me spit in your eyes so we can demonstrate how this worked. Do we have any takers? No, I guess I I wouldn't do it either. It doesn't tell us in the text, but I wonder if Jesus warned him that he was gonna do this, or if he just did it. He just surprised him. And then Jesus asks this incredible question. Do you see anything? Hey, did it work? Is there any question that Jesus asks that he doesn't know the answer to? He wants to show this man that there is more than the first touch. But let's look at this first touch a little bit deeper. Jesus' first touch confirms this one truth. You are completely loved and have eternal value. Do you remember your own first touch story? When was the moment you decided to say yes to Christ? I mean, do you know this truth? Have you received this simple but incredible truth that God does in fact love you? What an absurd thought. Because I know me. I'm not that lovable. When we are in full awareness of our scabs and our scars and our secrets, and our sinful stench become just as aware of the relentless and, the, and grace and love of Jesus Christ. It completely changes our past. It completely changes our present, and it completely changes our potential. Jeremiah, it's, it's written in 31.3, yes, I have loved you. This is God's voice to us. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. How can you be sure that he has loved you? Well, it's pretty simple. He already proved it. It says that greater love has no one than this, that he that laid down his life for his friends. How do you receive this first touch? By allowing Christ to come close to your greatest weakness. Allow him to wash away the effects of sin and pain and hurt and separation through a private journey with Christ that you allow Jesus to take you by the hand and lead you to that solitary place where he gets so close that you can hear, you can feel his breath, and you allow him to touch you. You allow him to enter. Many, if not most of us here, have had this moment, this initiation of saying yes to Christ and allowing Christ to come close. But if you are here with us and you have not had this moment, you don't have to wait another second. You don't have to go through any more hurt or any more days alone. I want to give us all a moment to reflect, either to remind ourselves of that moment when we had that first touch, or maybe now is your moment, to simply, quietly, in your heart, now as we pause, to receive the love of God. Let's reflect for a minute. to remember that we're loved. Or maybe you're hearing it for the first time. You are loved. And you have eternal value. Look at those smiles. Look at those smiles. Isn't it great to know that we are loved? Yes? Amen. I'll pay, the, I'll pay them later, amen. And we find ourselves able to find Christ in his nearness, but our vision is like this blind man. It's still blurred in how we see others. We easily get tricked into thinking that this life is all about us, that my personal experience with grace and God's love is this closed system affecting my bad feelings, my sense of worth, my problems, and somehow I'm fooled into privatizing my own rescue. And that's why we, like the blind man in the story, need a second touch. Let's continue with the story. Verse 23, Jesus asked him if he saw anything. And he looked and he said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. In the New Testament, we read of many stories of Jesus' healing people. In fact, it's one of the biggest reasons many would follow him in the beginning of the movement. Every time Jesus would meet a physical need, it was a part of his testimony of being the Messiah. In every other instance, the miracle was instant. One touch. He would grab someone by the hand and say, rise, get up and walk. Or he would simply mention to someone else, go your way, your faith has healed you. One time a young lady who desperately needed a miracle reached out and just touched the hem of his garment and Jesus didn't have to say or do anything for the healing to occur. Jesus could have easily spoke a word of healing or even gave a nod or even a wink in this man's direction. Or he could have given this guy instruction to wash himself or to even show himself to the priests. This guy could have even reached out and touched the hem of his garment. Heck, even if the disciples were a little bit more on the ball, Jesus wouldn't have even had to have been bothered. But there's a reason we see this story unfold this way. The proof of complete healing wasn't the question of whether or not he saw Jesus or even himself clearly, but the proof of the healing came through the second touch in how he saw other people. I see men like trees walking. I see them, but they don't really matter to my story. They're the same as trees. Jesus said, I'm not gonna leave you like that. He touched him again and made him look up. And looking through the lens of who God is, this man began to see everyone clearly. Imagine imagine the pure joy of the first recognition of that familiar voice now connected to a face he could identify. He saw faces where there had been shadows. He saw hearts where there had been objects. He saw stories where before it was only his story. And Jesus leans in to do a deeper work and that deeper work had to do with the people around this man and the deeper work in us has to do with those around us. And Jesus' second touch confirms this second truth. Every single person is completely loved and has eternal value. When Christ touches us and removes the scales of selfishness from us, every single person we encounter becomes a potential to see the Lord at work. And we know this when we've had the second touch of the Lord and this completely changes our priorities and our purpose and our presence. First, it changes my priorities. And when I see that someone else has value, I see a reverse flow in my life. I no longer um, pattern my life as a way to collect things but as a way to give away things. And I'm not talking about money, but I'm talking about my energy, and my agendas, and my place. I used to be that I cared about what mattered to me, but now I care about who matters to him. Changes my purpose, and when I see that someone else has value, the ultimate story in my life will not be in isolation. It will be in a sense of community. It changes my presence. Wherever I go, I bring salt and light to people that God absolutely loves. This counts when I'm standing in line at the coffee shop, which I do a lot. This counts when I encounter someone having a rough season of life, and maybe their external appearance reflects that. This counts even when that noisy neighbor keeps you up at night. It's, that inter- it's, it's interesting, that description, salt and light, salt of the earth, to be different to bring flavor, to bring healing, to preserve light. This is the only statement that Jesus uses both about himself and about us. He says in John chapter eight, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And in Matthew chapter five, he points the fingers out at the disciples and at us, and he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let me ask us all this question. How would my behavior change if I viewed every person as being absolutely loved and valuable to the Lord? What if I saw everyone clearly? What if I viewed every person in my extended family the way Christ does? Not as they are, but I see them through the lens of who Christ is. What if I acted as though the people I brush by on my way to get that parking spot, or to buy that coffee, or to get my groceries, or to get that seat in church? What if I acted as though they are Christ's honored guest? What if my annoying coworker, or my overbearing boss, or my underperforming employee had such inherent value that the God of the universe has strategically placed me in their life to bring a message of love and value to redeem them into an eternally joyful relationship? What if it isn't someone who isn't naturally connected to me by my bloodline or my routine or my workplace? What if the person I need to see clearly as Christ sees them is someone who doesn't look like me or sound like me or someone who doesn't even like me? What if they are from a different culture or speak a different language? What if they had had a rough past or even a sketchy present? What if I interacted with every single person in my area of influence with the realization that these people are not just trees? That every single person has an eternal soul that matters and that they are loved even before they realize it? Better yet, what if we as a church all did this together? What if we had a burning desire to see everyone connect to this all-encompassing love of God? What if we entered into a season of being instead of going or doing? I think the Bay Area would flourish. I think we would see unprecedented, unprecedented amounts of stories of healing, forgiveness, hope, and restoration. I think our area is hungry, not just for another church service, but for the church to treat every single person with the love and care of Christ. So how do we enter that season? By allowing Jesus to touch us a second time. And we're gonna give him that opportunity right now. We're gonna have the worship team come up and we'll have a moment to reflect and we'll ask the Lord to touch us a second time to help us see our lives and everyone else's lives more clearly. So here's what my ask is. Here comes the elbow what I would humbly ask us to realize is that where you are, where we are, is no accident. Through a series of decisions and life events, we are living in our current families, in our current neighborhoods. We are working at our specific places of work. We're going to that particular school or drinking coffee at that specific place. And we're not there to gain, but we're there to give. The lives we intersect with are assigned to us, and we need to feel that. The people are not just trees. They are eternally created souls made by a loving heavenly father who would rush out to meet them on the road. So he sends us to welcome them in. At every campus, we have some maps highlighting where we live. And as we sing and reflect, I want us all to ask God to touch us a second time. And when we feel we have seen how much God really loves the people we walk by every day, I want to invite everyone to come up and grab a sticker and find your primary place of influence. And place the sticker there as you commit to be in the light of that world, of your world, of your community. This could be your home address or where you work or even a spot like you feel it's just your spot. And I'm going to pray and then welcome the campus pastors at each location to give us instructions on what that means for us. What happens when a group of people who have gathered, who have served, who have learned to give, and who have been inviting others, we will not just be long, we will be longing, we'll be yearning, we'll be hungry to see more of his kids clearly. Simply, what does it mean to be a member of the Menlo family? We are a church of the second touch. We gather, we serve, we give, we invite, and we go because we see others as God sees them wonderfully and completely loved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for these dear ones um, around uh, at each campus and each location and even those watching online. Thank you that you have created us with a loving and generous heart. Father, we, as we reflect, would you touch us a second time? Would you remove the scales and let us see others as you see them and let us move and behave in that realization? In Christ's name.